Should Christians be Republicans, or should they be Democrats, or should they be independents and not affiliate with a given party? Should Christians be conservatives, or should Christians be liberals, or could they be either, or somewhere in the middle? Um, do Christians have to vote, or should they not vote? Uh, or do they have the ability to and get to decide one way or the other it's fine if they do or if they don't? Um, should Christians be involved in politics, or should they stay out of politics? These questions, the relationship of church and state, religion and our country, Christian and American, are ones that every Christian needs to wrestle with. If you're an American but you're not a Christian, you don't have to wrestle with this. You're just American. If you're a Christian who believes in sort of like an isolationist approach to your faith, you know, we're just going to go and hide, we're going to make a commune out in the woods, and we're not going to do anything to do with this world, well then, that's also a pretty easy decision. You just cut yourself off from the world completely. However, when we look at Jesus, we look at the Master, who we're trying to be apprentices to, uh, he stayed in the middle, and he created a bridge between two worlds, the, the earthly worlds and nations and kingdoms and peoples and thoughts, and God's kingdom and thoughts and his will and his truth. And so since Jesus stood in the middle as a bridge to give people a route out of the world into God's kingdom, uh, that's what he's calling us to do as his apprentices as well. So it becomes a challenge then. It would be easy if we didn't have any sort of relationship with Jesus and can just be Americans. Then you just pick your politics, you do whatever, and there's no conflict. And it would be easy if you're the type of Christian that just wanted to isolate, you know, build a bunker, hide away, and wait for God's kingdom to come. <laughs> um, but I don't think that Jesus calls us to that. I think he calls us to a very active, very tricky, very challenging, at times stressful, um, complicated, complex role of standing between two worlds and loving this world and praying for the next one to come and showing people that there's more than just what they see. And so as we wrestle with these things, um, we want to know what to do then. Okay, well then if it isn't clear cut, should I be Republican or should I be Democrat? Should I be conservative? Should I be liberal? When, when we're voting, do I have to vote? Can I not vote? Should I vote? When I vote, do I vote based on certain issues and topics? Ethically, do I vote based on like a party's approach to economics or to civil government? Do I vote based on a person's character or on their experience? Do I vote based on Supreme Court nominations? Like the host of issues is, you know, countless. So then we need a master to be able to say, well, here's how you approach it. Here are the principles that I want you to apply. This is precisely why we need a master, because if we're all equal as, you know, all wise people, then my opinion versus your opinion pits us against each other. But if both of us are just apprentices to Jesus and say, well, what do you want us to do? And then he gives us principles. Then even if we work out those principles in different ways, you may end up voting Republican, voting Democrat, leaning conservative, leaning liberal. You're taking the principles of the master and saying, this is how I feel best to work these out. And then even if you do them separately or differently, you can come together as fellow apprentices with other Christians and say, oh, okay, I see where you're going with that. 
And none of us knows the future, so all of us are trying to do our best in the moment to apply the principles that the Master gives us, the tools that he gives us. And so that's what I'd like to do with the election right around the corner. And uh, so much talk about politics, so much, uh, rightly so, talk about our government and our president and laws and all these things. I would like to just ask Jesus what his opinions are on these things. And he has one specific teaching, one specific skill, one specific tool that he can give us to help us analyze our relationship, this overlap, this tension at times, you know, two competing kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world, and they both want us. Are we American? Are we Christian? Are we both? Are we neither? Are we dual citizens? Like, how does that work? He's actually very clear about it. And so I would love to give that clarity to us as just a straightforward teaching from the master so that no matter how we apply it, we know we're obeying him and following him the way he wants us to. But then also he specifically gave advice, not just this one tool on how to analyze things. He gave advice in the Bible. The New Testament writers gave lots of advice to Christians, early Christians, about how to be people of God who also came from certain cultures and nationalities, who also lived within an empire. And we find ourselves in the same exact thing. The, the comparisons between America now and Rome in the time the New Testament was written are uncanny. Like, it's just the military might, the empire, the politics that were all divided, the, the sexual freedoms, the, the pursuit of pleasure above all things, the wealth, the convenience, the pride, <laughs> like all of this stuff here, the polytheism, the atheism, like all this stuff that was just Rome is America. So read the New Testament, get some advice as to how those Christians wrestle with those things. I think you'll find everything you read in the New Testament just has a one-to-one -one relationship from Rome to America. It's really uncanny. So, if we ask the Master, how do we understand the relationship of ourselves as your followers as we live within this country? I think the answer he would give is this. So, to us Americans who are following Christ as Christians, uh, he would say, America is not heaven. America is not heaven. America is not heaven on earth. America is not God's kingdom on earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Thy kingdom is not America. They're not synonyms. If you're American, you're not automatically Christian. If you're Christian, you're not automatically American. They're just different things. You can be a Christian in a different country. You can be American and not a Christian. They're not the same things. And I think we would all admit that if uh, you've never really thought of it that way. I encourage you to think about the scriptures we're about to read and recognize that uh, we are something different than Americans if we're followers of Christ. We are something different. It's not the same thing. We actually are Christians who happen to live in America. And when we see ourselves in that direction, in that light, which is exactly what Jesus taught, we're going to see what he said, then it informs how we influence the world around us. It informs our sense of identity. It gives us a sense of purpose as ambassadors and influencers. That's what we're going to see from scripture here. But America isn't heaven. I mean, even the founding fathers, many of whom were believers and who created this place that had freedom of worship, they weren't trying to create heaven. They're creating a worldly kingdom, a nation on earth, an empire now on earth that um, gave you the ability to worship God, created space for that, laws that protected that, uh, the ethics and morals of our legal system were created around this Judeo-Christian 
concept, and which incidentally I think is why our country has been blessed so much. Because when you take the principles that are in the Bible and you apply them to the real world, you find that there's just so much wisdom there. And so as we go away from those guiding principles that were our founding father's guiding principles, um, we'll find that our laws become less and less just. And I think our country will be less and less blessed, less and less honored by God because we're no longer honoring him in what we do and so we don't receive that favor you don't see the reward of a righteous life you know the ten commandments take getting taken out of schools just as a simple little example uh, that's not so simple and not so little is as a division of our education from an understanding of god well there there is no such thing as understanding the world apart from god but we've tried to do that now as a nation uh, even our pledge of allegiance one nation under god indivisible I wonder how much longer that pledge will remain as it is before the under God portion gets taken out and it just becomes one nation indivisible because how many people in our country don't want to say that they're under God? They're not going to pledge to a God at the same time they're pledging to America. And uh, so our country, I believe, will probably end up taking that out and that'll be just like, oh, remember in the olden days when that used to be what our country stood for. So our country isn't heaven and the further it goes, the more it slips into being a nation just like any other nation and that's that's dangerous for us we should be praying against that we should be trying to influence uh, our country for the better but we need to recognize that uh, this country isn't heaven and so it will make decisions that are economically right even if they might not be ethically right it will make decisions that are good for every religion instead of perhaps just for Christianity and where those two things divide, then you find pluralism, relativism seeping in. So these are all concepts that we could dig into. But the point for today is that when Jesus calls his followers to follow him, he calls them to join his kingdom. It's really interesting, but Jesus never anywhere says that he came to start a new religion. Jesus did not come to start a new religion. He actually was with God, the Bible says in John chapter 1. He was with God in the beginning. He was part of creation. He saw that. And then he came to earth. He was incarnated as a man. So he's been the whole story and will be at the end, the Alpha and the Omega. This is the Jesus that we know. So he's not going to start something new halfway through his own story. He's continuing it. He's actually fulfilling something. A promise that was made from God to Abraham that I will make you a great nation and all the nations on earth will be blessed through you. He came to create a kingdom, and this word kingdom, he uses again and again and again. It's one of the very first things he says, we're going to read that in just a second, that he came to start a kingdom. It's the thing that he gets crucified for, we're going to read that in the Gospel of John. Pilate's accusing him of being a king, he's crucified of being a king instead of Caesar, who is king. The Jews says he's called himself a king. So he came to start a kingdom, he was killed for being a king, and he preaches all his parables. Matthew 13 is just stuffed with parables about the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. He did miracles to show that there's a kingdom. The kingdom of God is coming. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And yet it's one of the things we teach about the least and talk about the least as Christians. If you were to put it in our metaphor of Jesus as a master and us as an apprentice, and again, sort of applying to become his apprentices, in the job description, it would say this. It would say, relocation required. You have to move to become my apprentice. You can't stay in the world where you live. It's almost like, you know, maybe all Christians, when you become Christian, you have to move to Australia or something. That's the place where Christians live. It's the kingdom. And you have to give up your rights from your home country, your homeland, and join this one to receive the rights and benefits of being a citizen of this country. And there's no such thing as dual citizenship. 
but it's precisely this concept of dual citizenship that I think people makes us wrestle. Like, am I American? Am I Christian? Well, I'm both. Well, really you're not. Jesus doesn't give freedom for us to be both American and Christian. He actually calls us to join his kingdom, become his subjects where he's king. So we have a king, we don't have a president. But his kingdom happens in pockets all around the world. And so these pockets of his kingdom find themselves under the rule of worldly governments. So we are Christians who happen to live in America. And if we were Christians who happen to live in Korea or in Uganda or in Australia, uh, those places would be places that have worldly governments with Christians living out the kingdom within it. It's a subculture. It's a counterculture. It's a kingdom with a king. We ultimately don't have a president. This president is just the president of the country that I live in. I have a king, and my king has certain laws, and I'm his subject. I've become his apprentice. I'm fully committed, and so I obey him, and he creates these pockets of kingdom. So when you look at it that way, Christianity actually is probably a nationality, not a religion. Let me say that again. I think probably a more accurate way of looking at it is Christianity is a nationality. It's a national identity. It's a nation. The nation of Christians versus a religion, which is a set of beliefs. You know, the way we use those terms now, religion is a set of beliefs. So I'm an American, but I have some Christian values. And so I try to apply those to my Americanism. Nope, you're not American if you're Christian. You're a Christian who happens to live in America and don't see yourself as equally both because then they're going to be vying for your loyalty. Be loyal to this system that we live in. Be loyal to these politics. Be loyal to this. This matters. This is important. This is, this is all there is. And then Jesus is like, well, be loyal to my ethics, my call on your life, my mission in this world because this is what matters. Kingdoms come, kingdoms go. God's over them all. The, whoever's going to be the next president is not either the the end of the world or the beginning of the world. It's one long line of kings and presidents and Jesus will be there long after they're all gone. And God is over it all. So it's not the end of the world if anyone gets elected or doesn't get elected. God is superintending over it all. When we see ourselves in that light, then we just do what we can to influence the world we're in. But yeah, Christianity is actually more of a nationality than it is a religion. Jesus didn't come to start a religion. He came to start a kingdom. So if I could give a couple of scriptures to reinforce this, I would start with two that are prophecies about Jesus. The things that were talked about, the one who would come. And one is from Isaiah. It says, For to us a child is born and a son is given. The government shall be on his shoulders. He shall be called Prince of Peace, right? Of the increase of his government and peace, there'll be no end. So he'll be expanding peace forever. He'll reign over David's throne, over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness and from that time on and forever. So the prophecy is the beginning of the eternal kingdom. So this is clearly not a world kingdom because kingdoms come, kingdoms go, countries come, countries go. But this eternal kingdom of peace is going to come at some point through this Messiah. The other one is Daniel chapter 7, verse uh, 13 to 15. Daniel has a vision of this son of man who would come, and that's the title Jesus uses for himself. He knows that he is the one who was to come. He refers to Daniel 7 uh, in his own great commission in Matthew 28. But Daniel 7 says, To this one, 
Well, I'll start a little bit earlier, 13. In the visions I saw, behold, there were clouds in heaven, and one came that was like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days, that's God, you know, who's before all time, and he was presented before him, and to him was given a dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, all nations, all languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that shall not pass away. His kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. So there's going to be a king, everlasting kingdom, is the power of God. This is what Jesus was. He, he showed the power of God, the love of God. He established a kingdom. So what is this kingdom? I'll let Jesus describe it in his own words. And you can see for yourself in Luke 4, 42, uh, it says, When it was day, he departed and he went into a desolate place. But the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. So I was sent for this purpose. He's stating, nowhere does he say, I was sent to start a religion. He specifically says, this is why I was sent. This is my purpose. This is my mission, to preach the good news of the kingdom. Well, what is this kingdom? It's... The kingdom is this beautiful concept, a place where all people of all backgrounds, all sorts, all races, all genders, all ages, all infirmities, all economic brackets, they're all welcome to come together. A place where we have everything in common, a place where we, we love one another, a place where there's forgiveness, where there's grace, where the love of God is like celebrated and visibly experienced. Uh, it's a place that has power and where there's healing and where there's joy. And so these pockets of the kingdom are what Jesus came to create. He said, behold, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Another time he said, the kingdom of heaven is within you. Like this, it's this, this thing that he was starting. That's what he was building with these 12 disciples. He was building the kingdom. And then he sent them out and they went and started all these other little church groups, these, these collections of misfits and said, let's build a kingdom. What kind of kingdom? God's kingdom on earth. Eventually the kingdom's going to come fully, but let's build it here. Let's start it. Jesus is the architect of this kingdom and we're the workers and he's putting us to work building his kingdom. It's a beautiful concept and it doesn't matter which country of the world you live in. You can build the kingdom here. That's what we pray, right? The Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the kingdom of heaven, some people think, is just when you die. But actually the kingdom is everyone who believes in God. So I believe in God. I believe in Christ as my Savior. So right now I'm part of the kingdom. And I'm looking to build this kingdom here on earth and stand between the world and heaven and God's judgment and God's love and say, this is what the bridge looks like. Does anybody want to come? Let's experience it together now. And then... Look for it to come fully. But Jesus said, this is why I was sent. Remember the, the verse from Revelation 19? On his robe and on his thigh, this is the second coming of Christ, the vision that John has of it. His name was written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus came to be king. He created a kingdom. When we join him, relocation is required. You cannot stay a citizen of the world and a kingdom of heaven. You join Christ and then you build his kingdom here in the world. So how you um, interact with politics it should be your effort to build his kingdom here in the world. That is not the kingdom. This is the kingdom. How can we influence for the kingdom? How can we build a bridge to the Father through the kingdom here on earth? Now, I won't read the whole thing, but in John chapter 18, remember I said that his crucifixion was based on his kingship and those accusations? I'm going to read some excerpts of 18, John chapter 18, verse 33, all the way through 19, 22, and just pick them. I encourage you to read that and see this is why he was killed. 
So if this wasn't fundamental to his purpose, he wouldn't have been killed for it. He wouldn't have said it was why he was here. He's here to build a kingdom, not a religion. John 18, 33, Pilate went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Well, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. It's in this world, but it's not from this world. It's not a worldly kingdom. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. And Jesus answered, you are right in saying I am a king. When the soldiers, you know, put the crown of thorns on him in 19 verse 3, they say, hail king of the Jews. Do you remember? He goes back to see Pilate and uh, Pilate says to him, do you refuse to speak? Don't you realize I have power either to free you or crucify you? And Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Jesus understands He's a king of this kingdom, and God the Father is over all. God's over Pilate. Pilate doesn't have authority over Jesus because Jesus is God. Jesus is with God, and so God has given Pilate this authority so that we might be forgiven for our sins. The crucifixion could happen for our atonement. You'd have no authority if it weren't for God. But then it goes on, verse 12, the Jews kept shouting, If you let this man go, you're no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. That's a kingship. That's world versus kingdom. That's the, the conflict. And that's what they're crying out to get him crucified. He set himself up as king. But they shouted, take him away, take him away. Crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar. The chief priests answered. Oh, they're not allowed to say that. <laughs> We're not allowed to say that. It'd be like me saying, I have no king. I have no president but President Trump. Or if he or um, Biden get, get elected, like, I, I have no president but the president of the United States. God doesn't allow me to say that. That's a heretical statement. That's just as heretical for them to say that as chief priests, as for Jesus to say he's one with God, and they're trying to stone him for that, but to get him crucified, they're claiming allegiance to Caesar and not to God. Not to Christ. We have no king. No, God is their king. They're praying for a Messiah. This is... Kingship is what's at stake. Who is your master? Who's in charge of you? Where does your loyalty lie? And in the season of politics within our country, that's what it comes down to. Where's your loyalty lie? And if it's with King Jesus, then we're part of his kingdom. We're just influencers and ambassadors here. And the world's going to do what it's going to do. We try to influence for Christ, but we don't live or die based on the kingdoms of this world. We just live here living for Christ and we're sad when we see what the kings in this world do. They, they fall apart. They make mistakes. And we're like, oh, if you just honored God, don't you know what it could be like? Let's build the kingdom. So at the end, remember, Pilate nails a sign at the top. It says, King of the Jews. The chief priests protest. Don't write King of the Jews. Just write this man claim to be King of Jews. And Pilate says, I've written what I've written. You know, even after Jesus' resurrection, this is Acts chapter 1, when he appears to the apostles for those 40 days, he doesn't talk to them about heaven, what it was like when he was there and what he's bringing them to. He doesn't talk to them about, he talks with them about the kingdom. So if you need any further proof that this was his purpose, this is what he says when he dies, what he says he came for, what he died for, and when he comes back and visits with them before he ascends, this is what he talks about for 40 days, is the kingdom, how they can build the kingdom, how we're supposed to missionally build the kingdom. So just briefly from Acts 1 and verse 3, he said he presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. They questioned him in verse 6, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Like, is your kingdom coming fully? And he said in verse 7, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his 
own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in the world, in Jerusalem, in the Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So this is what we see, right? The Great Commission, go, uh, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples, go and make apprentices, you are my witnesses. Um, this, is the, this is the kingdom job. This, this is what we're signing up for. You know, the, the man we're apprenticing ourselves to, this Jesus, this Messiah, the Son of God, He's not just asking us to take on his beliefs. He's asking us to leave behind the things that we felt were so important in this world and to live for him and then to kind of step back into this world as strangers and outsiders. Colossians 1.13 says, He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. That's the word, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. He's transferred us to the kingdom. You don't get to stay and go. You stay or you go. When we go, you get sent back with a different title, a different nationality, a different purpose. You get sent back as a missionary. You get sent back as a witness. You get sent back as an ambassador. You get sent back to persuade. You get sent back to influence but you can't stay and take. You leave and then he sends you wherever he sends you. But you have new ties, new loyalties at that point. This is not just a New Testament thing. Let's not be confused about that. Hebrews 11 talks about all these heroes of faith. And uh, in verse 13, it said, all of the people of faith of the Old Testament, they died in their faith not having seen the things that were promised. You know, the kingdom come, they've not having seen it. Um, but they have seen them from afar, these things, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. And people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland, right? They're strangers and exiles, so they're seeking their homeland. And if they had been thinking of that land which they had come out from, you know, their birth, homeland, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. Do you desire a better country than America? Do you desire a better country than some nation of the world with a president or a dictator or a prime minister or a king on the world? Like, I do. I want something better than this. America is not heaven. Christ's kingdom is heaven on earth and ultimately permanent heaven. And at some point, everybody is going to be confronted with this fact that Jesus is king. But for now, people get to deny it until it's undeniable. But we get to see it ahead of time and actually live for something that matters. But it said, they desired a better country that is a heavenly one. And therefore, their God is not ashamed to be called their God. He's prepared for them a city. Philippians 3.20 says, our citizenship is in heaven. So joining Jesus is really, it's a citizenship It's not a membership. But when we think about, oh, I go to church, we become a member of a church. What if our church membership process was citizenship? You had to renounce being American and you had to become New Hopian. And we would have a certain set of stipulations and certain rules and there'd be certain taxes that you have to do as a citizen and certain laws. And if you break them, then we punish you. And if you keep them, then there's a reward and we'd promise you like a country, right? What if that's what church membership was? How many people would become members of churches if they had to renounce Americanism? I don't know, because we want to do both. If we did have to move to Australia to become Christians, and that's where all the Christians went, how many people would just move? You know, we have these people that accept Christ and are baptized, and we recognize they've just joined the kingdom we celebrate. But what if after you kind of got dunked and came back up, you had to move, you had to sell your house? 
Some of us are selling our houses right now. That's an exhausting process. You might not want to move just because it's too much work to move. You might not want to move because there's certain things you like in your country and the other country you're not sure about. You've never seen it. You don't know what that's like. But faith in Christ really is citizenship. Our citizenship is in heaven. Christianity is a nationality. It's not a religion. It's not membership in a church. It's not a club. It's not an affiliation. It's not a set of beliefs. It's a transfer of national identity. Christianity really is a nationality, not a religion. So thinking of it from this perspective, what is the specific advice that Jesus and the apostles give to those national Christians, kingdom-building people who happened to live in the Middle East under Roman occupation in the first century? Right? That's the context. Well, these are people that could relate to us, right? They recognize themselves in genealogy as either Jews or Gentiles. They saw themselves as having a faith in Christ, and they were under Roman rule. And those three levels of pulling on them for their loyalties sometimes competed with each other. And so Jesus gave specific advice. Let's hear his advice and see how we can put it into practice for ourselves today. So really quickly, these passages, just hear them. Think about how they apply to us. In Jeremiah 29, 7, leading up to it, God gives the same advice again. This is not a new religion. The same advice in the Bible goes from Genesis to Revelation, old and new. Jesus just fulfilled it. He made it clear. He unveiled it. He uh, inaugurated it. But it's the same. So Jeremiah 29, 7 says, Seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So God's people as exiles and strangers in this world who happen to live in whatever country we happen to live in are to seek the peace of this country, to seek peace, blessed are the peacemakers, and the prosperity to help the country flourish, to be prosperous, to provide for all so that no one will be in want to meet the needs of the poor, and we are to pray for it. So if you're doing those three things, then according to Jesus' kind of you know, instructions, you'll find that God honors you if you're seeking the peace of the country, if you're seeking the prosperity of the country, and if you're praying for the country. Peace, prosperity, and prayer. Biblical advice. Let's move on to Matthew 22, 15 to 22. The Pharisees were trying to trick him, and since they knew that the Jews didn't recognize Caesar as being a god, although Roman citizens had to say Caesar is Lord, Caesar is God, and so the Jews had an ethical conflict with that, um, they didn't like paying taxes to Rome. Now, many of us as Christians don't like paying taxes either. That's more sort of like a, a self-preservation or even a selfish kind of thing. Like, I don't, they don't have the right to take as much money as they want. But this was like an ethical thing for them. I, I believe the, the, the Roman rulers are sinful and ungodly, and so I don't like giving them money. And so they asked Jesus as a, a Jewish teacher, what do you think? And he was either going to get all the Roman citizens mad or he was going to get all the Jewish uh, believers mad and they tried to trick him. And he said, show me the coin for the tax. Uh, this is verse 19. So they brought him a denarius. Jesus said, whose likeness and inscription is on this? They said, Caesar's. And he said to them, therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God. And they heard us and marveled and left him and went away. Money? Who cares? It's Caesar's. He wants it. Give it to him. Give it to him. What you give, what you owe him, what he requires. That's not what matters. Whose likeness? Whose image is on this? Do you see the flip to that? The flip to that is whose image do you bear? Your very life, your soul. God's made in the image of God. Therefore, give to God what's God's. Give him yourself. 
So give your money, give your possessions. That's not what matters, but give yourself to God. What bears God's image? Not money. Money is a man-made thing. It's currency, it's bartering, it's trading, it's earthly value. Who cares? But your life, your soul, those are God's. They have his imprint on it. So don't give your life to things of this world. Give money where money goes. Give your life to God. It's really a very challenging thing. Are you doing this? Are you paying what you owe? Are you trying to avoid paying bills? Are you trying to avoid paying taxes? Are you trying to save as much money as you can or hoard as much money as you can? Are you trying to protect yourself? It's not about the money. And are you giving God your life? Or actually, are you giving your employer your whole life? Are you spending your entire life in things of this world, like taxes and jobs and occupations and economics, when God says, live for me? Well, whose image do you bear? Give God what you owe him. It's your entire life. How are you applying that? How am I applying that? Matthew 5, 41, if any, Jesus said, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. This was an unfair practice where the Roman soldiers could tell anyone in every town, carry my stuff for a mile. And that's how they moved all the Roman supplies across their nation, the empire. And it was a law. You had to go a, a Roman mile. Um, and then you put it down, the next, they'd conscript the next people and they'd carry them. Uh, so Jesus says, uh, don't look at the unfair laws even as things to rebel against. Show your graciousness, show your love. In the face of unfairness, the un unfairness of government, and show that you love beyond, above and beyond. Go two miles with them. And at the end, say, God bless you. Go in peace. You know, repay evil with good. Are we doing that? The laws that we don't agree with. Do we obey them? Or do we flaunt them? Or do we obey them with a smile and say, I'm obeying this for God, not for you. Then you'd be blessed. Jesus says we should. Advice that Paul gives to Timothy, I urge then that requests, prayers, and intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. So are you making requests and prayers, intercession and intercessions, and thanksgiving for our president, for our senators, for our governors? That's what Jesus says we should do. Thank you, God, that we have a government. It may be messed up in many ways, but it's a worldly kingdom. They all will be. Thank you that we have something that protects us. Thank you that we have something to be over us instead of nothing, instead of anarchy. We pray for them. Please help them. Are you doing this? This is what Jesus says his followers are supposed to. In Romans 13, Paul gives the advice, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities because there's no authority except that which God has established. This is what Jesus said to Pilate. Do you remember? So consequently, he who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. So if we're rebelling against the current administration, we're rebelling against God. If we rebel against the next administration, we're rebelling against what God has instituted. God has his purposes. He allows kings to rise and kings to fall. He raises up kings. He humbles kings and presidents and countries. God is in control. So as ours comes up and goes down and rises and falls and succeeds and fails, God is in control. And we're part of a kingdom here within this country trying to aid it, trying to seek its peace and seek its prosperity and to pray for it and to be influential because God's laws work. And when we live his way, it will be a blessing. The world can't know that unless we say that. And we need to have a voice of influence in this world for God, who is the one that will raise or lower. 
He, Paul concludes that in verse uh, 7 and 8. Give to everyone what you owe. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, you know, if money, then money. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. So that's our law. You know, love God and love your neighbor. And it works its way out in, in giving thanksgiving, even for politics and for politicians that we don't like or don't agree with. It doesn't say how you have to agree with them. It says that you need to represent Christ, Christ who died for those who were his enemies. And that as we build that kingdom culture, it will influence the world. Because America is not heaven. But we live in Christ's kingdom as it's being built and spreading of his peace and his government will increase, will have no end. It will expand. First Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 9 says, You are a holy nation. Christianity is a nationality. It's not a religion. Verse 10 there in that same passage says, Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. So dear friends, as I aliens and strangers in the world... I urge you to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the unbelievers that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So let people see that we love each other. Let people see that we love God. Let people see that we're living according to Christ's laws and his, his commandments and his holiness because people will see it and they're going to accuse us of this and accuse us, but it won't stick because it's just not true. We're not in this for ourselves. We're not in this to gain power. We're not in this to control others. We're not in this for divisive or sinful means or, or purposes. We're just trying to serve and love the way Jesus served and loved us. He closes in verse 17 by saying, Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God and honor the King. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11, it says, Therefore, knowing the fear of God, we persuade others. Here's just the challenge and the command. And as we bring all this together and think about what we can take from this, apply this week for voting and beyond, be a social influencer. Since we know what it is to fear God, and He's above the President and above the United States, and since we serve the King who's building His kingdom here, we try to persuade people that this is so. Can you see the difference between the world and Christ's kingdom? Do you want this instead of that? Then become apprentice to Jesus, but recognize you can't have both. You know, when someone asks me, are you American? I should like wrestle with that a little bit. Yes, I'm an American citizen, and I'm grateful for this country, and I love the values that it's been built on, but as it steps away from them, I don't see it being blessed, and I don't think it will be. Because it's not being American that's blessed, it's honoring God that gets blessed. And yes, I live in America, but American is not my identity. Christian is my identity, that's my national. So actually, probably am I American? Well, I'm a Christian living in America, so I live under American rule as a citizen of Christ's country. And I'm trying to build that country here. In some ways, that will be subversive. In some ways, that'll be countercultural, but that's fine. I'm just trying to learn from the master how to do it because that's where the blessing's going to be. That's where that joy, that beautiful little uh, dream of a kingdom, a place where all are welcome and where healing and love take place. That's what I want here on earth and forever. And that's what Jesus promises. In verse 20 at the very end there, 2 Corinthians 5, it says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ be reconciled to God. So 
I urge you, persuade others and be ambassadors for your kingdom. Our kingdom is not one that's locked away in a corner where you just go and you hide away from the world. That's not what Jesus did. Christian isolationism is not biblical. And neither is this kind of like full immersion in the world where we don't look any different and we haven't left our lifestyles and we haven't left our worldly treasures. We should say, I don't care about my stuff because this is the stuff that comes and goes. I care about the kingdom. Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So be influential as the vote's coming up. Use that opportunity to influence for Christ, to look at his laws, his love, and say, this is a way that I can use this opportunity to influence my country. But does the Bible say you have to vote or you have to vote Republican or Christian or Democrat or conservative? No, we just read what the Bible said. It doesn't say any of those things. It says, you represent a kingdom of love. You represent God's truth in the world. So if you have an opportunity to influence through voting, do it. Take advantage of the opportunity to influence this country so that it might be able to honor God, so that it might be blessed. Um, but the voting is not actually the doing of the deeds, right? Voting creates a law or blocks a law. It creates space so that people can do something, you know, freedom of worship. And you vote or you create a country with freedom of worship. It doesn't mean that any worship is happening. So don't let this upcoming vote feel like, oh, now I've done it. Well, you voted in such a way and the laws will be instituted to create space, but then you actually have to step into those spaces and do something about it. Do not be people who vote and feel like voting is a substitute for doing. It is not. The vote will come and go and presidents will come and go and senators and congressmen will come and go. Live such lives among the unbelieving world as we build this kingdom that when people see it, they're like, oh my God. They will glorify God. They're like, God must be real because look at that ragtag bunch of people from all different nations and look at the peace that's building from them. Look what it does for their lives, for the people around them. That's what I want. And then we become influencers and ambassadors for Christ. So please use your influence this upcoming week. Use your influence every day of your life appeal to the world on behalf of God that there is a better way. America is not heaven on earth. Jesus' followers are building heaven on earth. And let's build a kingdom in our families that feels like heaven on earth, where Christ is king and he's in charge. And if he's in charge, it's not a democracy. We've switched from a democracy to a kingdom. We have a king who says, this is how I want it done. But every time we obey him, we realize his laws are for freedom. His laws are for joy. His laws bring life. So please honor God. Honor Christ in your family. Honor Christ. Put him first in your missional community. Let us collectively as the New Hope family honor Christ and put him first as king and just obey whatever he says because he will bless us and we will find that fruit that beautiful, peaceful fruit of the kingdom will come out of us and will be there for the world to say, God is good. We're just people. We're, we're, we have the resumes that are weak. We've come to Christ. It's not about us, but Christ is building a kingdom. So I pray that this week, you uh, influencers for Christ will build Christ's kingdom in beautiful ways and that we'll be united. No matter how we vote or how we act, we'll recognize this is my way of building Christ's kingdom because I'm not an American who happens to be a Christian. I'm a Christian who happens to live in America. May God bless you Christians who happen to live in America as you seek his wisdom 
as you seek to use your influence today, this week, and in the days ahead.